Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome back into another week in the family room. This is Craig Wiesmeyer, and I'm with my co-hosts, John and Mari. I know we discussed this topic, John, as uh, you and I kind of got together to even conceive of being on the show with Mari about a father's influence, men's influence in society. Yes. So I think this is, um, I mean, it really does take us all the way back to the first time Mari, you and you and John and I connected. I think it's good, though. Craig, because it brings us full circle, because it would be easy for someone to conclude. I mean, we shared statistics, but it would be easy for someone to conclude that you and I just had that opinion, right? Today, we get to talk to somebody who has statistics, has written books, has, you know, the degrees, the education, and the just this, truly the credibility to say, hey, some of the things, all the things really that we spoke about yep. uh, are validated. Yep. yep. Mari, what are your thoughts being the female in the group? Um, I could not do it without my husband. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, to me, his impact on our kids is absolutely amazing. Actually, I think I always joke and tell the story about how God and I were having a conversation one day and I was kind of irritated because, you know, my husband wasn't doing it the way that I wanted him to do. You know, George wasn't doing spiritual leadership the way I thought George should do spiritual leadership. And God just gently pricked my heart and said, um, but look how like Jesus he is. And he didn't say, and you're not being like Jesus, but I got uh. the hint <laughs> that he was so like Jesus with our kids and just, yeah, but by his presence and by his integrity and by his uh, just modeling, um, I think our kids have, um, it's, it really is a tribute and a testament to to their, their individual faith lives. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Paul Vitz, who wrote a book on the father's impact on the family But before we bring Dr. Vitz in, John, would you lead us in a quick prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. First, before all things, just for the fact that we are your children, and you have included us in the family that you desire to have back with you for eternity. We also thank you for this time today with Dr. Vitz, for the guidance that he will share, for the wisdom he will share. And Father, we ask that you would just open our minds and hearts to receive the message as you would have us receive it so that everything that we think, do, and say as a function of this time together will give glory to you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So as you just heard, um, we are speaking today with Dr. Paul Vitz. And um, Dr. Vitz is an American psychologist. He is a senior scholar at Divine Mercy University in Virginia, and he is an emeritus professor of psychology at New York University. His work does primarily focus on the relationship between psychology and Christianity. And as Craig said, he has got some wonderful books that also do talk about the importance of fathers. One of them that we'll focus some of our conversation today on is a a book called Faith of the Fatherless, The Psychology of Atheism. And uh, we will have links to that book in our show notes. He also most recently, just in 2021, um, he was the editor of a, a book called complementarity in women and men, 
philosophy, theology, art, and psychology. And he both edited the book as well as contributed to the psychology portion of that. And that is put out by um, CUA Press. But once again, we'll have links to that. So, Dr. Vitz, we are so thankful for you to join us here in the family room. Welcome in. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So typically we ask about um, our guest's faith journey. Can you just give us a quick introduction to who Dr. Paul Vitz was in his faith journey and who you are today because of it? Well, uh, I'll give a brief outline of it. Uh, First of all, uh, I had very vague Christian uh, background in my family. Hardly any Christianity, tiny bits. And so I went off to college and appropriately enough, in my sophomore year, I read Bertrand Russell's Why I Am Not a Christian, and I became an atheist. So I was an atheist in college and in graduate school, focused on becoming a psychologist and doing research in psychology. Uh, I ended up after my Ph.D. very quickly after being some years in California. I came to New York University where I was a young professor, still an atheist. After about, uh, let's say, five, six years, uh, I got tenure. And I, wow. so th- I thought I was going to spend my time doing psychology, but instead I had to ask the meaning of life. Um, I had met my wife, who was wonderful, in uh, the fall of 68, and we got married in August 69. We were both children of the 60s. Uh, she was an atheist also, made up our own vows with no reference to God in them. Mm. God came anyway. Uh, <laughs> funny how he does that. <laughs> yes. He didn't, miss a, he didn't miss a thing. Not one thing. Anyway, in the summer, that summer, we went to uh, had sort of like a second honeymoon. We spent a lot of time in France. And my wife was a French professor and also taught uh, medieval French. So it wasn't so unusual that we spent a lot of time in those old French cathedrals. But it was for me as a psychologist. Something must have rubbed off. But I was still an atheist when we both got back, and so was my wife when we got back in 1970 from that summer. But in the fall of 71, our first child was born. Mm. And that was a big wake-up call for me. Now, I wasn't just a husband. I was a father. What what in the world did I stand for is what it really amounted to. And there weren't many things to choose from. There were only four different choices that I could see. You could either go in for liberal politics, but I had been on the fringes of that out in Stanford and and at NYU and knew a good number of the people involved in it and was not impressed Mm. with their personal lives. You could go into New Age spirituality, and that was one of the four choices. But that seemed to me like a tourist religion where everybody chose something that they then re-chose another thing a few months later. Then I could stay with what I was, namely uh, looking out for number one, worshiping myself, so to speak, with a career and grabbing all the gusto I could as I only went around once. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if you worshipped yourself, I was smart enough to know you worshipped a fool. <laughs> <laughs> and all that was left was traditional religion. And I wasn't pleased at that when I saw that was uh, one of the alternatives that was available. 
But I began looking into it some and discovered that I hadn't been educated about the nature of Christianity at all. Mm. I had a Ph.D. in psychology from Stanford. I thought I was educated. Mm-hmm. I was not. There were all kinds of people I'd never heard of or never read. Mm. Uh, amazing. Also, every now and then, the, the paper would publish a few comments from the Pope or maybe from Billy Graham or something like that. And I I found that what they were saying see, was true. Mm-hmm. I believed it, but I couldn't believe it. Yeah, what they just said was true, but I couldn't believe it. Mm. That's a funny position for an academic and intellectual to be in. You can hear something that you know is true, but you can't believe it. Mm. So, so we began investigating. We went back to a liberal church, and that didn't work out. And then we sort of went, I led the way, went to a, a sort of an Anglo-Catholic Episcopal church in the middle of Manhattan. And we went there for five or so years and enjoyed it and got deeper and deeper into the faith. But we found ourselves always taking a position that when we checked on it was the Catholic position. And so eventually we converted. We came into the church, both of us on, in the same ceremony, in June uh, 1979. And uh, I was sponsored by a man by the name of Father Benedict Groeschel. Oh, wow. Some people know him. <laughs> One or wow. two might know who that is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He was he was my sponsor, and he was you know also he was a psychologist too, mm-hmm. you know, besides being a priest. And so we were in touch a lot in New York, and we knew a lot of very fine priests in New York. We didn't know any Catholic families while we were living in New York. We lived down in the village, you know, Greenwich Village downtown mm-hmm. on Bleecker Street. Um, but we got along. I was at NYU, and what happened, of course, is God didn't convert me and have me do that until I had tenure. Because if it, I, if, if it had happened before I had tenure, I wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> 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 anyway, so I had tenure, and I changed my psychology from experimental and cognitive psychology uh, to um, looking at the connection between the Christian faith and and psychology and began writing about those things. And that was sort of a lonely business there. There were no colleagues that could be seen as very helpful or anything like that. But we had, I had family life and my wife, Timmy, was wonderful. And we had six children. We lived on the 23rd floor mm. in a big high rise. Um, and then in about 1990, I went down. I was asked to go down to the, maybe 1991, down to the John Paul II Institute for Family in, in Washington. Mm. And I was their psychologist. And I gave a course on the reality of the family, which brought them up short because they had all these theologically wonderful understandings. <laughs> but they didn't know that the reality didn't match. They, they didn't have six kids like you did, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also the family was in trouble all over the country even by then. So mm. we talked about that and what to do about it. And then about uh, 10 years later, a little less, uh, I met some people, two other people, and the three of us set up a new institute called the IPS, Institute for the Psychological Sciences. And uh, that has that's grew and has become Divine Mercy University, a wonderful place, by the way, if you want to get trained in psychology and in the faith at the same time. Now that I've gotten well into my 80s 
uh, I've decided to retire, so I won't be there. Congratulations. And they gave me an honorary degree, and I didn't take a single course in the humane letters that they gave it. <laughs> I'm not even going to comment on that. That's the way that. to get a, a doctorate if you can. I don't want to get off task too much, but I, the note that I made is that I don't remember the exact date that you said, Dr. Vitz, but way before 2020 and 2023, Dr. Vitz and others knew that the family was in trouble, yeah. right? It's this isn't something that just snapped overnight. It's been, it's been cooking and cooking and cooking. Yeah, very true. And that's one of the reasons we began this show is because we really wanted to have a show that could encourage people in their marriages and their families and bring them people like you, Dr. Vitz, who has such an amazing understanding, not just an understanding based on your personal experience, but also a deep, rich understanding based on your years of scholarship and work in this area. So we are so thankful that you are here with us. Well, you're very welcome. This is what I'm supposed to do. So (laughs) (laughs) when you call me, I say, God made you call me. So I'm (laughs) glad to respond. Awesome. So listen, folks, if you're just joining us, you're in the family room and we're talking to uh, Dr. Paul Vitz and we're talking about the father's uh, impact uh, on family, the important impact on family. And um, Dr. Vitz, if I might wax maybe negative to start with, because there's a lot of good things that I know you're going to share with us also, but maybe I could look just uh, or ask you to look with us at uh, some of the common, like the emotional and behavioral effects of a father's absence. So a father's not present. What are the behavioral manifestations that are typical in, in that scenario? It's very common for that child not to have a lot of self-discipline. Mm. And that means that they're going to be aggressive, uh, often outside of the family, but even sometimes in the family, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to get into a lot of, they're going to get in a lot of trouble in the outside world because of it. Mm. Many children will also feel depressed. Uh, one of the effects of fatherless families on daughters is depression and even suicide. People feel that. They don't have meaning in life because the outside world, which would have been brought to them by their father, hasn't come to them. Explain that when you talk about the father bringing the outside world to the kids. Well, in a certain in a certain general sense, the father is Mr. Outside and the mother is Mrs. Inside. The mother does the is there for the intimate uh, activities of the family, feeding, talking, uh, getting over, uh, you know, sleeping and waking up and all those emotional interactions and all of the support that comes from your mother. But she's got her hands full. Right. And somebody has to go outside. And if the mother went outside, there'd be nobody there. So the father's typical role is to go outside and to find provisions to bring in to the family, to both protect the family, bring in provisions, you know, get a job, bring in provisions in other ways. And then, of course, another thing that the father does is he provides um, a model for the children's understanding of the outside world. And uh, he often takes them into the outside world. Maybe they just go fishing. Maybe they go camping. Maybe he takes them to the business office. Right. Who knows? Maybe he takes them to the ball game. God. But often he's the guy who introduces them to what's going on in the outside world in an environment in which they feel confident because their dad's with them, who can protect them and make sure nothing safety. bad happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the safety piece. Yeah. Yeah. Could I ask you, uh, maybe it's a weird question. So there, it feels to me 
that there there could be two scenarios of where fathers where the father is not present. One scenario is one that's very popular in today's culture, and, and that's the one that says you don't need a father, right? It's just like you can you can raise a child without a uh, without a dad, and um, and then there's scenarios where and it's, in fact there was a case with my own father. He lost his dad when he was ten years old, mm-hmm. but having been the son of my father. I would say that I mean I wouldn't have known anything differently, right? And, and as I in in what I've learned now, I don't look back and say, "Oh, I see that he did these things or didn't do these things because he didn't have a father figure." So I feel like there could be that there. I don't know. Is there a difference in the scenarios where it's a death scenario versus a chosen scenario? Uh, yes, there's a big difference, usually, uh, and that is. Uh, when you choose to leave your family, the family feels rejected. Mm-hmm. So, so does the mother. Right. The kids feel that the father mm-hmm. didn't care enough for them to even stay around. Uh, but if the father dies, for example, if he dies in World War II, for, for example, his death is seen as honorable, and often they keep a picture of the father around, and mm-hmm. they recognize that although he died, he was an honorable man and very well worthwhile and at least you had 10 years with him which was important first 10 years and if his memory is positive and kept alive then you sort of have that kind of outside father mm-hmm. the other thing i would expect is that that person without a father a young man like you at 10 might have gotten some help from some uncles mm-hmm. or older brothers or some other men in the family so there was a willing father well and you would be correct that was the case for sure a substitute yeah. father is very very important and many many young men have been saved by substitute fathers mm. when you're talking dr vitz about you know the father brings the outside world and um since i'm the woman here and I think, you know, it is very true because what I bring from the outside world to my children is different from what my husband brings yep. from the outside world. You know, women today, we do have, I, I, I was blessed enough to be a stay-at-home mom primarily, but I also did work as well, part-time, sure. part, just part-time. But what I chose to bring from the outside world into my children's life was different from what my husband did or what he took them to do was different. And then I think about my friends who did raise children as single moms because of situations where their husbands um, left the family. And it was amazing to watch and to see um, the different ways that they worked so hard to get father figures into their children's lives because they recognized the need for a father yeah, figure. Yeah, that's in really important, lives. substitute yeah. fathers. Yeah. And yeah. they should, and when, look, coming up this weekend is Father's Day, right? Mm. And so they should have also recognized in their substitute fathers uh, in Father's Day. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of those folks do get do get recognized, do get cards. That's yeah. a good insight, though, Mari, because the difference. And I know we're going to get to maybe even some of that in, in one of Doctor Vitt's books. But that is a that's mm-hmm. it's well, interesting. About, even when it's, think about it as a boy coaches, right? Yeah. A mm-hmm. male figure that even though you had a good dad, that coach added to that and augmented. You know whatever your father did, so I think it's yeah, it's important to remember those yeah. men. Mm-hmm. No, no offense to the ladies, no. but the men that really helped you kind of see what being a man was all about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And it's hard. One of the things for mothers is it's very hard to discipline sons who start, you know, acting out and causing trouble. Mm-hmm. They're they're apt to shout at them or argue with them, but they're not going to take them on physically, which is what they need. <laughs> And so they they get mad at each other, but they don't. If Dad were there, he'd say, "Don't 
you know, when when the boy's 12 years old, if, if, if dad was there and the boy started being smarty to his mother, dad, he doesn't have to be a college graduate. All he has to do is be a typical t- truck driver. He'll turn and say, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Don't talk to your mother like that. Don't talk to your mother. She's my, my, my wife. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it is. It's, I mean, boys do and learn. Wop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> boys do learn to respect their moms based on their dad helping and, them to know that. Yeah. And I think yeah. you can explain this one, uh, Doctor. There was a study done in Africa with bull elephants. Oh yeah, I know would, that. Would study. you would you bring that to our <laughs> listeners? Yeah, it was uh, in South Africa in one of the big national parks, very large national park in South Africa. And they had lots of elephants in the park, and part of their the job of the rangers was to make sure the elephants uh, prospered and so forth. Well, for some reason, which I've never been able to find out, they decided to take about a large number, perhaps as many as 100 young bull elephants, uh, teenage elephants, so to speak, teenage bull elephants, and put them together in a separate part of the park. Well, they did that. And then they began noticing all kinds of fighting there amongst them. And then they noticed that they were attacking the rhinos. Oh, goodness. Well, the park was supposed to help the rhinos. But here the rhinos were getting killed by the enraged bull elephants. And they had never seen anything like this before. And they didn't know what to do with this. So one smart ranger said, well, why don't we go get a bunch of old bull elephants and put them in with them? So that's what they did. They got a bunch of old bull elephants, adult males, and they put them in with these young bulls who were causing all the aggressive trouble. And guess what happened? The aggression level dropped down, the attacks on rhinos disappeared, and they, even the attacks on each other that was relatively common among the young uh, elephants there also faded away. Now, we don't know how those old elephants took care of the aggressiveness of the young ones, but they did. Whap, just like you said. They're young boys. <laughs> As my husband says, sometimes they need a kick in the pants. That's <laughs> he, right. He never actually, yeah. That he was never, yeah. the Von Florsheim method of discipline. The Von, yeah. von Florsheim. <laughs> well, it is important because my husband is has the same brain as my son, right? So he does know, and he's like, no, he needs a kick in the pants. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's that's it, and and some sort of over, you know, you mess, you do that anymore. Look, you're going to have to deal with me in a physical way, and I'm going to take care of you. And so you well know you you, yeah. you don't want that. No. So you learn, which is very important. The boy learns self control of his aggression. Yeah. yeah. So conversely, what's what are the positive effects, and how do you uh, measure those effects from what you've seen statistically? Well, one is the self-control uh, is a positive thing. Right. In case you're interested, they did a big study on uh, predicting grades. Hmm. And believe it or not, not surprisingly, IQ was related to high grade or to higher grades. Your IQ predicted. But your measure of self-control predicted even better whether you had high grades than your oh. IQ. Mm. So higher correlation between self-discipline. Slightly, yeah. Self-discipline and self-control were slightly higher, in a positive sense, correlated with your grades than your IQ. 
Wow. Interesting. Another way of saying it, you can have a high IQ, but if you don't have the self-discipline, when you come home, you don't do your homework. You watch TV. Mm-hmm. I can vouch for that because <laughs> I was the one in grammar school who had the good test scores and then my it, like told he doesn't try. And I got in with a bunch of old bull elephants called the Augustinian Fathers <laughs> and the discipline they brought. And I got really smart, really fast. <laughs> That's a good example, by the way. That's a good anecdote example of it. <clears throat> All of a sudden, you, the, the demand is there. That's great. A, a good substitute father was um, Clarence Thomas had a substitute father, which was his grandfather. Mm. And he owes everything, he says, in terms of his own personal development, his scholarship, his own self-discipline. He owes it to his grandfather, who was a tough old character, all right, but he raised a Supreme Court justice just by his self, just by encouraging his self-discipline and and his knowledge and and the goals in in young Clarence. Mm, That's great. This is a little bit of a side, but kind of funny. When my kids were little, we didn't have a timeout place we had a self-control step in oh our is house. that right yeah <laughs> and and what's funny is because we called it the self-control step the kids started to recognize when they personally were out of control and i remember you know a you know little three-year-old looking at me and saying i need to go to the self-control <laughs> step <laughs> fantastic yes so they would put themselves in the self-control step until it was time to you know well, time. kids know that they know yeah. when they're out of control yeah. they know when when they're not doing it right but they do it because of their own immediate emo- uh, needs and yeah. immediate drives, and they kn- they know they need to be brought up short. But when that doesn't happen, they get used to the other way. Yeah. Or you put an Irish Catholic mother in there, and she'll whop you as much as your father. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, Is that what happened to you? Uh, yeah, trust me. My father was too big, quite honestly, to physically discipline me. Uh-huh. My mother was like, no, he'll kill you if he really ever hit me. <laughs> And she was, but you I know, can be a substitute. Yes, she was. She was tough enough that it was like, nah, you're not getting away with that. Yeah, and by the way, if you'd popped her back, then your dad would have. Ooh, been oh yeah, no, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> that I can guarantee you. We would be a show of two. They, they kept a picture of you on the fireplace, though. <laughs> but but I will say, in honesty, too, nobody else touched me either. Because if anybody did anything, my my father would have been right there. Yeah, Meaning, yeah. an adult man or protected. somebody else. Yeah, I was yeah, protected. You had protection. Hundred yeah. percent. He was you the giant. Protection. Bull elephant. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, um, Dr. Vitz, we're going to head to break in just a, a few few seconds here, and um, but we would love to hear. We know that uh, there's a lot of – it's very interesting. You know, you've given us so many good specific examples of the negative impacts of a father's absence and the positive effects of a father's presence, and yet not everybody knows about that. So when we come back from break, we'd like for you to – kind of share with us some of the pressures that kept us and also kind of some of the the four reasons of of this so we'll do yeah so we're just teeing that up as a teaser so listeners if you'll stay with us here in the family room with dr paul vitz and we'll be back in just a few minutes we'll be right back inside the family room in moments sponsored by versprite on the quest in today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. 
Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. Right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're speaking with Dr. Paul Vitz today. We're talking about the Father's important impact on the family and... uh, we have a tradition, Dr. Vitz, and every family room guest, we have them share one of their favorite family room memories with us and with our listeners. So something either in the family that you grew up in or the family that you raised. Uh, I think you had six children, you said. So whichever scenario, but share a favorite family room memory, if you would, please. Actually, it was uh, a weekend or a short week on, uh, uh, on the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Oh. Mm. And all of us were there. We had 23 grandchildren and six children, and it was wonderful. Uh, and that is that kind of a gathering and uh, watching them and not having to do very much, but just say hello, give out hugs, and sit there and enjoy their their life in front of you was wonderful for me. That's awesome. That's mm. a great one. That's a great memory. That is awesome. So before the break, um, Dr. Vitz, we told our listeners that you were going to share with us four theoretical reasons why the father is helpful to his children. Would you outline those for us, please? 
Sure, and I'll actually add a fifth. Sure. Bonus. Well, one of the things I've already mentioned, the father is very good at developing self-control and setting limits and letting people know where they have to change their behavior when they have to go to the self-control stool. (laughs) Got it. So one is for self-control. Two is the father provides gender identity, especially for the boy. Gender identity is a little more difficult for boys than for girls because the father is not always there. The girl has the mother who's there for identity as to her gender, and she knows by definition she can have a baby, and so she knows something about what mothers can do and what mothers are like. But maybe the father's at the office, whatever that means. So uh, the father has to be there, particularly in the, uh, in the later childhood years, to help form the masculine identity of the sons. So he helps a lot with that gender identity there. And by the way, the father who does that is, is the father who loves his children. He doesn't have to be especially masculine. He doesn't have to be a football player mm-hmm. or anything like that. But if the father shows love to his children, that forms their identity. And the, 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 the sons know what to do in becoming men. And one of the things it shows also is it helps the daughters understand becoming a woman, becoming female has a meaning to her when she sees her father behave, let's say, at the father's daughter dinner or takes her, takes them out for, for, for lunch or uh, allows them to talk to, you know, the father suddenly steps in and the mother and daughter may be having a little squabble so the daughter can talk to the father and know that she's not going to be getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody, not just another adult, but an adult that's different enough from the mother to be able to give some advice. Mm-hmm. So gender identity is one. Another thing that all children face is the problem besides gender identity. All children face what's called separation and individuation. Mm. This means the child has to separate from the mother and individuate as an independent person. And this developmental task is a little bit more difficult for girls than for boys. They tend to merge more easily with their mother and be much more interpersonally linked girls are more interpersonal to begin with shows up as babies but the father helps that identification with his presence he helps the daughter separate from the mother and become a separate person and the example i just gave of when they might have a squabble when the daughter might have a squabble with the mother and the father's there to support her or to listen to her in a way that would be helpful that's where the Uh, individuation is taking place in the daughter Mm -hmm. and of course separation and individuation also take place in the son the father helps do that i think we can all grasp i have two other things that the father is very important with passing on of religion it turns out studies have shown that although mothers are very important in the passing on of religion fathers are even more important than the mothers in passing on religion in the family It it tells all the children that it's really completely important. And when the father doesn't do that, he's implicitly saying religion is not important as far as he and the outside world are concerned. So he does that. He passes on religion and values of any kind. And finally, one of the important things that the father does is to support the mother and to help her morale. A study was done that showed on cultures all over the world that when the father was present during child rearing, the mothers were better mothers. What that meant is they were freed from some of the tasks that the fathers could take over 
but they also felt that they were being supported, and they felt that what they were doing was therefore worthwhile and significant. And they got that support from the fathers. So the, they got better mothering when the father was present. And, of course, they got better fathering if the father was present. They couldn't have anything if he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So those are the five reasons of a theoretical kind why fathers are very important in a positive way. Self-control, gender identity, separation, individuation, passing on of religion and values, and support for the mother. Yeah. It all makes sense. It does, and it's that, you know, you mentioned it's theoretical, but as you're speaking, I think all of us can actually see examples in our own lives or the lives of the people around us where that was true or there was not, or it was not true if right. the father wasn't there, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. However, yes. you don't really hear of it spoken of in the public forum very much. Um, I think you've identified there have been some pressures to keep this kind of information out of the public forum. You know, yes. wh- why and where is it coming from? Well, uh, it's coming from a lot of the so-called woke uh, progressive people Hmm. in their extreme emphasis. First, it's coming from feminists who don't want to hear anything good about men anyhow, and they certainly don't want to hear about anything that might be related in a positive way to patriarchy. So the feminists don't want to hear this. Mm -hmm. Same-sex marriage people don't want to hear it because uh, uh, for for lesbians, where's the father? And for uh, male homosexuals, it raises the issue of what it, maybe the mother's important, too. Mm. Right, right. And so all of those get in the way. And then, of course, in this country, it's sometimes seen as a racist issue because they, they, most people know that fatherless families are disproportionately in the uh, American black community. So they think you're raising a racist issue. Mm. But it's not a racist issue. It's the same thing in white families and in Asian families and in every other family around the world if the father is absent. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- those are the reasons why it's kept off, been kept out of the media, kept out of our our understanding, even though we've known about it officially f- for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it's interesting too because I heard a black gentleman talk about it and says, you know, it's time for us to get back into our families and make a difference. So there are some people that do have that voice, but again, they're even getting squelched in their own communities. Right. But, you know, I I don't know if I can find it right now, but there was a long quote from Obama in which he recognized the importance of black families and of the father, Mm -hmm. especially the father. Mm -hmm. But no, he didn't follow up on it. And nobody else has either. Yeah. Yeah. I I think some of his writing, too, didn't he talk about that dream of his because he he didn't have his father and how that impacted him personally as well? Yeah. He had a kind of idealized, distant father. Right. Yeah. Now, if I could, uh, Dr. Vitz, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into you said that one of the important things, you know, the five things was the passing on of religion. Will you take a minute and talk about like the special effects of bad fathers on religion? And also, I think you shared with us the whole concept of sins of the father in Scripture. Could you yeah. will you spend yeah. a minute on that with us? Yes. Well, look, I, I wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless, the Psychology of Atheism. And in that, I showed that dysfunctional fathers, dead fathers, abandoning fathers, abusive fathers, were found in the lives of a huge number of the prominent atheists that we've had in history. And then I showed that compared to the prominent theists of the same time and in the same places, relatively speaking, uh, they had good fathers. So that, you know, 
And in addition to the, those that I dealt with, uh, Hitler had a be- terrible father. Stalin had a terrible father. Uh, uh, Mao Zedong had a bad father. The number of bad fathers among some of the mass murderers is really quite frequent. Hmm. Somebody once said that out of the 27 most killing mass murderers, 26 had a very bad or non-existent father. Hmm. It, it almost like it's. it seems a little silly that we're pointing that out. It does feel... Like it doesn't defy logic or reason, right? But right, it it still needs to be pointed out because to your earlier point, Craig, nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah, because look at the reality is, in families in general, you know, even in the black community, when they were slaves, if they could keep the family together, it was still a strong group. They had their faith, and I guess slave owners were smart enough separate them, get them mm-hmm. away from each other. And when that continued to perpetuate, it did weaken a society of people. Yes, but they had some of those earlier black families had substitute fathers who would step in, just like uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very important, substitute fathers. And some of them in the black community that are important that aren't adequately acknowledged are the coaches. Mm-hmm. Right. They may right. be black or white, but the, the sure. coaches of the sports can serve as a, a decent father model for many, many people who don't have their own father. Yeah, there was a, a story on a, on a black community where the school was kind of going crazy with fights and all these things. And fathers in the community got together and they roamed the halls at the school and their <laughs> parents in the community. They may not be. The parents of all the kids, obviously, but they're there to be dads and mm-hmm. say enough mm-hmm. nonsense. Again, the bull elephants. The old bulls are out there in the halls, you guys. You better watch out. Seriously. <laughs> and, it, and it turned the school around. So it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where we are on it. And by the way, the cost of our kids in crime and in prison is enormous. Mm. It's the cost of the crime that they engage in itself. There's the cost of the police force and policing needed to arrest and so forth. There's the cost uh, of the judicial system, which has to spend money and time processing this. There's the cost of keeping them in prison on a yearly basis that's cost more than to send them, than to send them to a private school. And finally, there's the enormous cost of lost lives. Mm. And so just the money cost runs into the billions. Wow. And why aren't we doing anything about it? Yeah. And and you're saying, and one of the things that you said is that the likelihood of them getting in trouble with the people getting into the trouble with the law or getting in trouble and, and going to prison is that they don't have a father to teach Very them. Very high probability. Yeah, teach them self-control, et cetera. Our prisons are filled with fatherless boys. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing a story about that. I remember hearing the story of that uh, one of the greeting card companies came to a prison and in May, and they brought... Mother's Day cards, and they were just overwhelmed by all these these guys wanting to send Mother's Day cards to their mothers, and they thought, oh, this was so successful, and this was so great that we did this. So in June, the next month, they came back and brought Father's Day cards, and hardly anybody took a card because they didn't have fathers. It was just devastating. That story was devastating. Or maybe not one they wanted to send any kind, kind yeah, sentiment or maybe to. a negative yeah. card. Yeah, yeah. Um, so listeners, if you are just joining us, we are here in the family room with Dr. Paul Vitz, and we're talking about the father's impact on family. Um, you did talk about the effects of substitute fathers. Um, yes, yes. And how important that They're, is. They can be very important. And I have examples of them in the faith of the fatherless, um, of substitute fathers and how they helped very, very much in the lives of 
people who did not become atheists. In fact, they're in, in the lives of some people who were well known as theists. They mm. had a substitute father. Mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting because you were talking about those people who were either um, atheists or theists and where that came from and then how it impacted our world. I mean, I can't help but my brain going toward how it does impact the rest of us. You know, Hitler, how Hitler impacted the rest of us, how Mao impacted billions of people, you know, how, yeah. how each of these people and just for want of a good father. But if there are people who are stepping in to be a good father, they can turn that around. And instead you get somebody, you know, you get these positive. Do you have an example of, of who that might be? Like some examples of the positive ones. Who could ones? be a good father? Or, or either a, good, a substitute father? Right, right. Or the ones who had them, yeah. Yes, well, Don Bosco did. Mm. <laughs> he became a saint. Mm. Um, he, his father died and his mother remarried, and so there was a stepfather. The stepfather did not like him, and there was hostility toward you know children from the previous family. He was one of, I think, two, one was a daughter. So he had to find a substitute father, and he found two substitute fathers. One, one was a priest who took him under his wing and paid for his schooling, and then he died, and he said he felt as if his own father had died. And then another priest took him over for all of his educational costs in seminary and so on. So he had two substitute fathers, plus, he, of course, he had God the Father, and he had our Lord. Right. Mm. So that makes me think, and I'm going to get the name wrong because I'm not up on contemporary things, but the actor who played a Padre Pio oh, yeah. in, um, in the movie. Shale LaBeouf. Yes. Thank you. He he talks about his his substitute fathers were the Franciscan priests. Oh wow! Right, remember he talks about he slept in the parking lot in his car, and and one of the priests would come out, and I want to get it all wrong, but he has a great interview, uh, I think, with uh, Bishop Barron. But as wow. you talking, Doctor Fitz, it made me realize. So here's a guy that, like you said, had no just absent of faith and all those things, and it was the Franciscan fathers whose 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 parking lot he was sleeping in that well, ultimately look, brought him. Back to the faith, or to this the faith. This is a call for all those possible substitute fathers who might hear this, hear this session. Um, you could be a grandfather. You could be an uncle. You could be a coach. Be a father to those who need it. Mm-hmm. Those who need it, really, please. You have a huge calling there available for you. Yeah. Well, think about it too, right? I mean, why did Christ come? To show us God the Father, the Father yeah. Yeah. you know, to teach us our to Father. It, to show that that Father loves us and that he's willing to die for us. Yeah, and think about how he engaged, right, all of those on the peripheral that um, nobody wanted to touch, nobody wanted to talk to. But as in a manly manner, he went and he said, to heck with all that. I'm going to go touch these people. I'm going to love them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hug them. And I'm going to show them what real love's all about. And I think... You know, we need to do a good job of continuing, John, to search the scriptures to see how Christ was a mm-hmm. father mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Because I think, to to Doctor Vitz's point, right? If you grow up feminist with feminists telling you who you should and shouldn't be, you and I kidded about every TV show. Mm-hmm. The husband's adult in some way, shape, or yeah. form, or he's a total buffoon. Yeah, and you've lost that sense of this strong, honorable, whatever. And I think for for the for the mothers out there that don't have the strong dad or strong husband in there, get into the scriptures with your kids and look yeah. at what Christ did and how he did. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, so there there was a priest in, in high school, Father Henry Maybush. And and as as adolescent boys are wont to do, we occasionally 
would mock some of Father Maybush's things. As I look back in <laughs> retrospect, that man was a fierce warrior for our souls. Mm. He, he stepped into so many situations. He did not tolerate so many things that probably were minor infractions, but he wouldn't tolerate it. And, and as a result... Um, and I'm, the, the list of people who are better men today, as a who, who had great, I had a great father, but I, I look back and he he was just an amazing, and he was an oddest guy in certain senses, <laughs> but just he was a warrior for our souls. <laughs> well, that's what you need to see, you know, that somebody is really strongly there for you, and of course, our Lord said that the greatest love that a, a man can show is to lay down his life for the other. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is still very much respected in the military, where the Medal of Honor goes to the the man who dies to save the lives of his buddies. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Jesus died to save our lives. Now, I don't know that most of us, are, the fathers are going to have to die to save their children's lives or their or wives' lives. But I do know this, if you're going to be a father, substitute father or other, you're going to have to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Self-sacrifice is intrinsic to being a good father, just like it's intrinsic to being a good mother. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. fact, mothers are so automatically automatically understood as self-sacrificing for their children. Mama bear. That's why we honor them so much yeah. on Mother's Day and else time. Yeah. Yeah. Mothers sacrifice themselves. They sacrifice their body and their time, you know, with morning yeah, sickness, pregnancy, all kinds of things and yeah. their figure, all sorts of things they sacrifice for their children yeah. and their children know it. Yeah. Well, men have to sacrifice things too. And mostly it'll show up and they have to be there and sacrifice their time to help their children. Yeah. Well, I think Mari's yeah. got a daughter in college and I can guarantee you she's one of the well-behaved children. She's going to church. She's doing what she's supposed to. <laughs> but now I say that in reference to my daughter and my son have gone you know, to college and, mm-hmm. and still are, in, in essence. And, I mean, we can point to the kids that are out of control with the drinking, drugs, and mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. How many of them, they you can point to a bad father yeah. or no father. I mean, in the stuff you hear that some of these fathers have said to kids i mean the fact that they're still functional Mm -hmm. is amazing so to uh your point dr vitz you know for single moms for moms out there obviously vet people very closely but go find a a man that you can bring you bring around your children that are going to be there to be a good solid father figure whether, whether it's a grandfather an uncle or you know, a coach or something like that. I don't know. We need to, we need to step up. Certainly true. Yeah. I was also thinking when you were talking about as far as military, and we don't usually have to die for each other, but, but to your point, and you said it a few minutes ago, I think men are called to die to themselves. And I think that's harder in our culture today than ever before because there's so many things pulling men away from their families into all different directions. And I'd look, you know, I look at, as I said, some of my girlfriends, and even if they, if they're the, the husband is still there. The husband is so focused on what on what's imp- on himself and what's important to him. And that is one of those yeah. things that I'm very yeah. thankful um, that you know my husband has a very strong relationship with my kids. And I think there's a uh, a great uh, you see the impact. You just definitely see the impact. Yeah. So yeah, helping men recognize that it's okay. It's okay to be self giving. It's okay yes. to sacrifice to self. And that doesn't make you less of a man if you do that. Definitely no, it makes you less of a narcissist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and more of a man. Right. Well, you know, so we're talking to here a bit about the complementarity of 
the mother and the father have the importance of having both and and as you were yeah. saying the the wife can also demonstrate self self um, sacrificing to her husband do you have just a quick blurb you can share with us about your latest book that you just wrote uh, that you edited the complementarity of women and men is there anything around from that book that well, you thought would be helpful to know well there's a lot of evidence of complementarity and uh, the authors of their the chapters in the book they're three women who wrote the chapters and two men Mm. And uh, it talks about complementarity, and it's really just talking about the sense in which, on average, men are men and have mostly masculine qualities, occasionally a feminine one blended in. Mm -hmm. Women occasionally have a masculine quality blended in. But we all know the difference between a man and a woman, and they all behave differently even when they show the same quality. Mm-hmm. So that's what the book is about. I would read it for finding ways to understand complementarity. Mm-hmm. But I would say this. I want to mention one other thing. As we all know, I suppose, as Christians, as Catholics, in the Old Testament, they, they only speak of the sins of the fathers. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? You think you think as patriarchs they would pick on women and call talk about the sins of the women? Because we're not no sinful. Because we have no sins. Is that right? The, we That's may... right. Well, not quite. <laughs> not. Mari, back up. Her nose is in the microphone. Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. There was Eve. By Pinocchio. The way. Pinocchio. Yeah, they just call me Pinocchio for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, but what it, what what is this? I, I'll put it this way: mothers, on average, are much better mothers than men are as fathers. Hmm. So you, they're not some. The, the sins of mothers are less than the sins of fathers. Second, if a mother is bad, isn't a good mother, it shows very early in the child, in the infant. And substitute mothers take over the mothering and normally do a, a, a good job. But sometimes a, a child will have bad mothering. Maybe the mother was a. Uh, a drug addict, and there was nobody to pick up the mothering. There was no substitute around. And if a child grows up without good mothering, they're really in deep trouble. Mm. The person is usually so depressed or so anxious or so confused or so much disturbed. It's unfortunate, and they have a bad life, but they can't cause trouble in the society. They're not organized enough. Their emotional life is too discordant. And so it's the boys that get good mothering, but no fathering that can cause the trouble that goes on for seven generations. Wow. So the boys have good enough mothering, so they're functioning as people, but then they're angry. They're angry at the outside world because it didn't provide them with a father, didn't provide other things for them that they thought they should have had. And so they often show that anger by joining gangs or becoming atheists, etc. Yeah. So, Dr. Vitz, you have made it very clear to us that the father's impact on the family is huge. (laughs) And we really appreciate all of the statistics and all of the research that you've shared with us and just the realities of that. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. And we will have links to your scholarship and your books on our show in our show notes. So, John, would you close us in prayer today? Heavenly Father, we have an example through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, of a loving and kind father. We just ask you to let that permeate every aspect of our life and drive every one of our actions. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Vitz. Thank you, dear listeners. We appreciate you all being with us here in the family room today. Join us again next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.